going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Boyce, and this is another episode of The Facts Project. Today, special guest, somebody I've wanted to have on here on this pod for a very long time, the creator of his Nine Out of the Wear Spider, Greg Anderson Alise. Thank you for being here, sir. Thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely, absolutely. Man, look, um, you have been one of the creators that when I first started to die, take this deep, deep dive into indie comics, you had an established series with a lot of continuity that a lot of people had uh, pretty much put on, not necessarily like put on the pedestal, but when when names get brought up, you're one of them. So I find that, of course, is an accomplishment and has always been my outreach to, of course, talk to those creators one on one. And you have always been on that list. And I'm just glad that I finally got a hold of you. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you. No doubt. No doubt. So it's not another wear spider. Well, from from the beginning of how you've talked about it with Forgotten Stories, uh, the Hornets Web, Showtime and the newly released uh, Birthday Day. Like, how has this been constructed for you in establishing this tale and the fact that you continue to talk about this character on and on throughout this series. How is that how has that been just like basically molding and transforming the story of Asnana? Well, it's been a lot of fun uh, for one, first and foremost. And originally I, I wanted Asnana to represent the I guess the next generation of reclaiming our roots and our our stories essentially, given that he's supposed to be the son of Anansi the spider. And as I was creating this character, um Originally, he was actually supposed to be an, an adult. It was supposed to be a very mature type of book. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I started releasing like the general idea and pictures, a lot of people were like, oh, I can't wait to share this with my kid. And I was like, oh, snap, that's a thing I didn't really think about, you know. And so as time went on, it's like he he got younger and younger. And now he's sort of like a, a teenager. And essentially that also opens up a lot of development that I can do with the character. So as the character is moving through different realms and meeting uh, different black figures, he's also growing and learning as an individual, trying to find out who he is in life and his purpose in life, while also having to, at the same time, try to please his father, mm-hmm. you know, given that his father is a non the spider. You know, and and he's never really had a relationship with him. And so I try to see um, every new tale, every new story as a different avenue of, of exploring not only um, African lore and um, mythologies and stories, but also just his own individuality. And so I just have a lot of fun with trying to find those connections. Yeah. And for a lot of people that do not know, Anansi, of course, is the trickster guy based out of uh, West African Ghana and uh, more specific folklore and even more so in the Caribbean. Um, now, you are of Haitian descent, so you have had familiarity with with uh, Anansi before. When now have you, Has this always been something that you wanted to tell? So Anansi is actually not that well known in, in Haitian mm. uh, Caribbean folklore and uh, mythology. It's it's definitely like uh, you'll find the stories in Jamaica and Trinidad and, and other Caribbean countries. But Haiti, we have our own particular stories. Because I remember I would ask my mom about Anansi the Spider. And she's like, I don't know what that is. You know? <laughs> um, and so I had to sort of tell her a little bit of Anansi stories. And but I've I've grown up. I grew up mostly on like Greek mythology. Yeah. You know, my uh, I was obsessed with Hercules and Xena back then. 
And because of that, that opened up my interest of learning about other Greek mythology. And I would get all the books. I would go in the library and just, just, I would just consume and absorb as much knowledge as I can on Greek mythology. And one day I was in high school and my art teacher had a book on mythologies from all over the world. Of course, the first thing I went to was Greek. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I was just interested in the book in general. And then I was like, yo, what other gods are out there? And mm-hmm. I saw that, you know, we had Haitian gods and deities that I hadn't, I knew nothing about. And then when I went through that book, I was like, yo, we have our own gods. That was just, um, that was just a, a world mind opening mind fuck for me, you know? And so when I would ask my mom, unfortunately, my mom was like, I don't want to talk about that because uh-huh. you know, we have all that negative connotation of a lot of our, our cultural roots to many of us, it's rooted in, in evil. And we know why, you know, colonialism. And so um, yep. I would ask my pops, and my pops was like, oh, what you want to know? I know some stories, you know? <laughs> and so um, that was what sort of started my interest in learning about more black folklore figures and traditional story figures and so on and so forth. And so as time went on, I got to college. When I started taking electives, I started uh, finding, you know, some African or black um, studies and some of that was, you know, um, African-American folklore stories and how that coming from African stories. And that's where my love for that, for those classes, it became my love for wanting to make these type of stories and hopefully educate people and or more so introduce people to a lot of these concepts and these figures that we have. Mm. Now, I, I can tell you the familiarity with that because my grandparents being from Barbados, uh, they had a a folklore tale, tale of the Bakuman, which was pretty much like a short man, like a like a pygmy character, almost like a leprechaun uh, based in in uh, in Caribbean and African folklore that granted wishes to uh, to most of the rich and wealthy people of the island. But yet you had to go to a particular sector of the forest in order to catch it but it was mischievous and devious and you had to feed it all the time and everything like that. It was, it was some creepy shit. Now, now one thing I can say about Caribbean folks, they don't really do spooky shit that well. They don't like to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Cause they they're superstitious and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to bring that bad mojo within the household. So <laughs> I can totally understand that, but continuing with Anansi, um, being a trickster God, the one thing about the beginning of this tale with his Nana is is the trick is being played on him because he is almost a hostage in the human world. Mm. Why? Why is that? Like, it's like a um, he didn't he didn't intend to be here, you know, but for the most part, he's making he's getting a little bit more comfortable as these stories are being told. Uh, I, I can't wait for you to how you think about that within the next couple of stories. Oh, Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, um, it's definitely a, a fish out of water story. Mm-hmm. You know, I established that he comes from a different realm and he's sort of uh, trapped in, in our world. So if he goes back, he ends up being stuck back in his world, but he feels very responsible for all the different horrors that he released from all these different realms. And so he feels very, his duty, he feels is to let me, squash all this let me bring these back these villains back to where they're supposed to be and then i can finally go home Mm -hmm. unfortunately we don't know how many villains he's unleashed 
And we're even finding out that there's actually certain horrors that he never actually unleashed himself, that he's finding himself uh-huh. coming into the paths with and so on. So there's a couple of that. Um, I will say there's an upcoming story where I've hinted at this in various in the various past ones, but I don't know if not many people have caught it. But in one of the upcoming stories, it goes into his uh, depression. Uh-huh. And, and so it's sort of tackling, you know, him being a teen, him being homesick, but him also not understanding that where are these feelings coming from that he's getting. So there, there might be a lot more to the general mythos um, going on in his head. Right. And so um, there's going to be a lot, <laughs> a lot of tackle with that. But that's yeah, him being a hostage to this world, as you said, I never thought of it that way, but that's literally exactly what I've done. Yeah. Uh, it will you will see what it how much of a toll it takes on now between like the stories i know for uh forgotten stories and hornet's web are pretty much one and two showtime fits directly in the middle of that and then when we're talking about the the newly released birthday day that basically just uh just just hit on kickstarter well completed kickstarter and now it's about to hit our hands which i'm going to get that's the prequel to all this so basically you're seeing what the mother kingdom is him in his uh, in his arachnid form and pretty much his tales with his other friends, where yeah. that's more of a children's story as opposed to a lot of people. What, what do you say to people that think that uh, it's not as a horror comic? I'm totally cool with that, man. OK, I'm totally Good. cool with that because um, I grew up on horror stories. Mm-hmm. I, I love horror. I love horror movies, books um, and those creepy supernatural Caribbean stories. I, I love them as well. <laughs> um, and it's just, I think I, I started, I started writing these stories in mind for it being like a bit of a dark horror thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing is with a lot of my writing, whether it's comics or any other thing that I've written, like plays, a lot of horror comes in, but a lot of different genres come in as well. And so I don't try to, I don't try to write in mind of this is just going to be this type of story. Right. I allow my mind to just go where it needs to be in order to, uh, to tell the story. Sometimes a lot of comedy comes into place. Um, sometimes some surrealism, some abstract, whatever it is. And I, I just go with the flow with the themes. If the, if the theme works, if the setup works where it doesn't feel like it's come out of nowhere, then, um, you know, I'll just go with that. But um, the, I've had some people debate between if it's not a it's a horror book, if it's not a horror book, I like to say it it is. But the ones who say it's not, I'm always like, okay, if you don't feel it is, but if it works for you, cool, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. So yeah, like I, I know a lot of people like to proclaim it as as a horror comic. Uh, I've seen people like basically, as far as reviews have been concerned, have displayed it as such. I mean, I like to give the 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 title is like almost it's it's almost like a street fantasy to me. Yeah, you know I usually say like a, a dark, a dark fantasy, mm-hmm. but I'm listen, I'm I'm cool with all genres because I've definitely seen how um, different people have classified it under different things, especially because each story is a, a little bit like a, a different genre itself. Like Showtime, there's like little moments of horror, but it's not a horror story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have the, the ballads of John Henry and Rawhead. You have the Rawhead, which is definitely a horror story, but the John Henry one is sci-fi. So I, I totally understand. Yeah, because there's so many tall tales and legends out there. And and the thing is, 
even more so the ones that we've learned here in the States, they were more so somebody performing some type of extraordinary feat. And then it was like exaggerated in some sort of way to where it became a legend. Like yeah. the, the story of John Henry, of course, like beating the the steam mill pipe and and basically like winning, but dying in the end. Pecos Bill, Paul Bunyan, all those type of things like Paul Bunyan to me just sounds like somebody that was just extremely tall <laughs> that walked around with a cow might have had a blue hue to it. Mm. That might have been it. But <laughs> but but the story got told on and on and on about this guy. And then all of a sudden the tale got just bigger and more exaggerated after after its time, which is more so what a lot of people say of a lot of gods that are out there, a lot of people that are perceived to held on this high pedestal with the storylines that they're being told and might've been actual people. Might've been actual people that they've been told for. So to you, like, what is, what is the, uh, what is the importance of folklore when it comes to comics? Well, I feel, I feel like comics itself right now, especially even the modern superheroes from the big two, I feel like those are the new modern mythology. Mm-hmm. You know? And I feel it's, it's so many people are reading it now, so many children, even though more so, let's just say Japanese manga is, is probably the biggest thing now. Um, but even then, when, with those type of stories, a lot of, I love when uh, the creators go into mythology from their own culture. Mm-hmm. And a lot of anime, even a lot of anime, a lot of manga, like the Ninetale Fox is huge in Naruto, and that's their own actual mythology. Right. Goku being inspired by the, the Monkey King. You know, so seeing a lot of that, in, in, my, in my opinion, is sort of a way of reclaiming their roots, but also keeping their roots alive, keeping their stories, their culture alive. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of folks who may not be aware of a lot of these mythologies until they love Dragon Ball Z so much and they, they want to do some backstory of hey, what inspired and then they learn about the Monkey King. Right. And, and I think it goes back to knowledge of self and pride and, and cultural pride. Because one thing I feel a lot of black folks, we're getting to the point where we want to know more about our past. We want to know more about where we come from. Right. We're tired of being fed bastardizations of our culture and, and negative negative how do you say i'm looking for the word but i think you know what i'm talking about yeah (laughs) you know so i think us like a knowledge of our folklore of our culture i think is just a way of us reconnecting with who we are and our roots and not losing touch of that and realizing that there's more than just european stories it's not like european culture should not be the total high class for everything you know, right. there's so much that we've come from. There's so much past There's so much history. And I just think it comics is a great way of introducing people to that. And that's what I've been trying to do with this Nana as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't try to hit you in the head of this is who this character is. Um, I just try to incorporate them as these are just normal type characters. And I've had many people who tell me they didn't feel like they knew enough about them until they did research themselves right. and it's like that's literally the reason why i wrote it a particular way i want y'all to do your own research and find out which country did this figure come from what is the actual mythology mm-hmm. and it's me once again it's modernizing and as i said it's not supposed to be the next generation after anansi it's uh, trying to showcase that we can make really cool stories 
and not turning into like some crazy bastardization like colonialism has done with you know voodoo or black spirituality and stuff. True. There's even the case where mythology has been stolen and the stories have been pretty much transplanted into European culture or as they like to say, they borrowed them uh, to where, you know, there was an African god of thunder in Shango. And then we have, of course, we every anybody that reads Marvel Comics knows who Thor is. And that mythology exists in both. They just have no knowledge of Shango at all and nor of any of the tales of that. But the thing is, you know, it does exist. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't seem to realize. Yeah, very true. Um, and that's that's also one thing that I, I try to be very careful of too, because there's definitely still people who uh, worship and believe in Shango, mm-hmm. you know, and, and me, myself, when it comes to trying to represent some of these figures, especially the ones who are still in African spirituality and traditions, I don't want to step on anyone's toes and misrepresent them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've been offended many times watching certain shows where they totally misrepresent uh, certain figures. And even if I don't follow them, I'm not a believer. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that's messed up. Why would you do that? Yeah, I feel offended. Um, having done research and finding out who these figures are and then seeing the way some of these European-made shows just fuck up the traditions you know mm-hmm. so uh that's one of those things too i i try to be careful of one of the the most uh well I, one of the intriguing things that i've seen you have an interesting take on um was how the current run or better yet the the run of existence within x-men and the mutants how they've been able to take uh african-american storylines through history and transplanted them into these comics. I've heard you speak about this before. And you you have a take on how this current run has gone because it's it's the liberation of black people, uh, you know what I'm saying, within this island of Krakoa. If you if you if you want to put it in that in that perspective. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's the utopia, it's the back to Africa movement, it's the Marcus Garvey movement. You know, it's almost telling almost the same story, but all almost if it if it happened and then how all this constructed around sci fi and mutants and everything like that. Could you touch on that real quick? Yeah. So <laughs> I try to get me in trouble. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I mean, I, like most honestly, like most. Marginalized folks, um, people of different of non white races, people who aren't straight. I've noticed that they love X-Men and I love, man, I love X-Men. That was definitely one of the first, um, the first speculative fiction thing that I've, I've been introduced to and I've loved it ever since. But as you get older, you get a little desensitized from it, especially for me, when you start to realize, okay, the subtext, okay, civil rights movement. Cool. That's pretty cool. Um, and all this other stuff. And then you start thinking about the fact of a lot of, a lot of the people who've been writing the stories, they are not people of color. Um, And a lot of people who've been creating these various characters are not people of color Um, or nor are they really queer. And then you have a lot of fact that X-Men takes a lot of 
the plights from queer people as well, their struggles of being accepted, of trying to hide who they are, of um, their puberty, their feelings manifesting as a teenager. They don't know how to control it. Um, so it's just like, yo, they've been using the plights of Black folks, of queer folks, of other folks of color, apartheid, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's always through the lens of a white man writing these stories. You'll, you'll get a couple of white uh, women here and there, or I, 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 uh, what's her name? Marjorie Liu, I thought was uh, pretty cool when she did Astonishing for a little bit. Yep. So there's every now and then you'll get a little something. And you have um, Vita, um, Vita, who's currently writing a, a next man spinoff. I forgot. Which yeah, um, she's doing uh, New Mutants and Children of the Atom. Yeah, their work is, from what I read, I really enjoy what I wrote, what I've read. But you can tell there's also a difference sometimes when you read someone who is of color, who know what they're talking about because they've had particular struggles mm-hmm. versus, you know, someone like Hickman. And not to say anything wrong with Hickman's run. Um, what I've read so far is like, this is really cool. The high concept is cool and stuff like that. Right. But there's a certain thing that happens when you, when someone who knows what they're talking about, they've gone through these backgrounds, they know what the subtext is because they live the subtext. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not put us on the, the actual main book and see what we do? Like imagine Christopher Priest as an X-Men writer. That'd be amazing. Like like that, the, the crap that he writes, the, the, the racial politics that he can produce and put in and, all mm-hmm. the different characters and their backstories like that dude would just would destroy. You I'll, know, do, what I, if, I'll do you one better. What if you wrote an X-Men comic? If, <laughs> they ain't ready. <laughs> Imagine that'd be cool, though. That'd be cool. Would there be one singular character that you would take out of the X-Men that you would want to mold yourself? Ah, I don't even know. Honestly, I feel like um, I really like the Bishop character, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of there's a lot of things with Bishop that I feel is undefined with him since he's been introduced um, to yeah. the ninety. Because there's this there's been debates about what his race is. Sometimes we don't know if he's black, if he's African American, if he's Aborigine. Yeah. Um, you don't know who's his lineage. There's all this, all this other stuff. And sometimes his personality shifts between who's writing him. Yeah. Um, or how his powers work sometimes. So I feel I would like to, like Christopher Priest did with Black Panther, where he like just streamlined everything. I would mm. like to find like the streamline of, you know, maybe he is all of that, but what exactly is it? Um, and I feel there's a lot of potential with him as a leader. He was like a freaking police chief, you know, mm-hmm. essentially um, the time fugitive. There's a lot of things you can do with him. And I feel like even going through different timelines, different universes and, and tackling racial politics and, right. uh, and uh, mutant politics that you can do with bishops and him being a black cop as well. There's mm-hmm. so many things you can do with that. Yeah. The fact you that know, he but, grew up in a concentration camp. You know, he grew up in a mutant concentration camp. That was like his his birth to about maybe around 12 years old. Yeah. You know, almost in the same sense that Magneto was being being raised in an actual concentration camp without being a mutant. He was there because he was Jewish. This is mad. You see, that's 
that's the thing that I've, I've peeped to with um, a lot of uh, characters of color when it comes to Marvel and DC. A lot of times you don't quite get too much um, nuances until you get somebody of color, somebody who does so much research on them. Um, even the same thing with, uh, have you read Midnighter? Um, yes. By Orlando, Stephen Orlando. Mm-hmm. Like he's always been a pretty dope character, but until they actually finally got a gay writer to write him, um, I think actually not gay, he's bisexual, uh, Stephen Orlando. After he finally got a bisexual writer to write him, those stories were just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's like you finally get someone of that background who knows what they're talking about, who can really add those nuances that's been missing because yeah. they've always just created by white straight characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, creators, not characters, creators. Yeah, because you're mostly looking at the action of the character and the missions that he goes on, but you're not actually picking their brain. You're not seeing the inhibitions of exactly. what it means to be a gay character within the DC universe and what exactly like he's going through or those conversations that he has with Apollo. Like it's like whatever you were writing before, <laughs> it don't look like that now. But uh, essentially, you know, to to put it plainly, I mean, for you being in the indie game for as long as you've had and then for for us to go through COVID the way that we did and for a lot of creators to then, uh, for the most part, market themselves online. How has that been for you? Repeat that. I'm sorry. You cut off. my. No, uh, I, I was saying as far as like uh, as, as far as COVID and just like how it how pretty much the pandemic uh, had created for a lot of indie creators to pretty much go into a bubble as far as marketing wise and then pretty much sell themselves through social media, through the Internet. Like how how has that been for you within the past year? It's been tough, um, honestly, because a lot of my sales used to come from conventions. Mm -hmm. So once conventions closed, uh, that was a lot of my uh, my money flow just stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was sort of that fear of um, when, the, when the quarantine first happened, a lot of people didn't want to run the risk of doing Kickstarters because no one was making any money. Mm. You know? And so there was a bit of that. But yet, uh, I think it was uh, Roye Okupe who launched something in the beginning of COVID. And it did great because people was like, yo, we need that escapism. And um, I think that also pushed some people just to try a couple of things. And another thing that helped me out, honestly, financially, unfortunately, was the whole uh, Michael Floyd uh, thing. George Floyd, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, George Floyd. Because all of a sudden it was like, oh, let's support these black folks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and it was just like, that's a little unfortunate that that's what needed to happen for you guys right. uh, you know, but um, so I, there was moments where I would make a lot of sales every now and then and um, doing the Kickstarters would help as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but little by little, there would be there would be um, certain like stores reopening and doing little events and I'd make a couple of change and stuff like that. But it mm-hmm. definitely it definitely sucked, um, sure. but it did help with um my creativity. So I got to finally sit down and work on some stuff that I needed to work on. So it was cool. 
Good, good. And and now I, I think what uh, was was BlurredCon the first convention that you actually like got back out to do physical sales? Was it wait, BlurredCon was uh no 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 it was actually um there's a, a comic shop in New York City called Anyone Comics. Yes, I'm familiar in Brooklyn. Yeah, they did um what was they did a free comic book day um event which was it was only like four five different uh creators uh people vending they did they did um a queer con thing they did a black con thing and i've been in all of them and they've been making it an ongoing joke that i'm definitely i'm always going to be there type of thing um and then blur con there was blur con as well which uh was great made a a lot of made a lot of great uh new readers supporters it was it was fun good and now, um, when are we going to expect any development of Stronghold 2? You, you got to talk to Jason Reeves about that, bro. Oh, you gotta, man. Uh, you got to talk to them. Okay. My, I've written three scripts already. I've written uh, issue one through to three. I have a feeling I spoke to I spoke to him already. I was just like, because um, originally it was supposed to be four issues. But I was like, I don't think we could wrap this up in four. Um, and so he was like, damn it, Greg. <laughs> you know, but but issue two, um, issue two has been written. Issue two has been drawn and inked. We just need the colors and the letters. But uh, it's it's on, those, it's on its way. Good. Good, man. Well, bro, I appreciate you doing this with me. This has been awesome. So for anybody that that is not familiar with you, where can they uh where can they get your comics at um so feel free to plug yourself as much as possible through webway comics and everything is where can we see is nana or where can we obtain stronghold one hmm. uh, so you can just uh you can type in webwaycomics.ecwid.com or you can just type in webway comics on google it will show up or is nana the Weird spider mm -hmm. uh you can find me on social media greg um, DAE on IG, my page links you directly to the, where you can purchase it as well, or Greg and Elise on, um, Twitter. You can get stronghold at, uh, 133art.com. Copy that. Well, brother, it was amazing to have you. Thank you. Uh, the, the, for real, I wish you the best as far as like birthday day is pretty much going to be in my hands probably like in the next uh, next month or so. And if when and ever I get Jason Reeves on this show, I'm going to ask him about Stronghold 2 <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of his uh, the rest of his collection that's pretty much going to come out. So for all of us at the Facts Project, this is James Grandmaster Facts Boyce. Thank you to Greg Anderson, Elise. We are out.